Welcome back, Warriors, to another episode of Never Settle. Today, I am so thrilled to introduce and interview, share Iona Holloway. She is an artist, an athlete, a writer, and an all-around warrior. Iona, I read one of your articles, an entrepreneur, and immediately the way that you write, you speak, you express, spoke to my heart. So I want to let you introduce yourself, take it away from here. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I always try to write how I speak because I just think that there's so much curated and I also lived so much of my life in a very curated way prior to feeling just a bit more comfortable being myself. So um, I appreciate that it felt like it spoke to you because that's the point. Um, but yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, like you said, my name's Iona and I work primarily as a coach at the moment. I'm also a speaker um, and my ghost, my book, I should say, Ghost, um, came out this year. And the, generally the work that I do is supporting what I call high functioning, but sometimes invisibly struggling women. Um, and I think perhaps that's the article that you're referencing that we're going to perhaps chat a little bit more about. Um, but for a long stretch of my life, I'm Oh my goodness, I'm like, what age am I? I'm 32. Um, up until my late 20s, I was very much shining on the outside and struggling on the inside. And I found that this to be the case for a lot of people who are perhaps moving through their life in apparently very easy ways and everyone assuming that everything's fine. But underneath that is perhaps the drive of perfectionism, a really rigid approach to maintain that facade. And so I love working with women to get underneath the reasons why we feel like we have to create these perfect portrayals of our lives, why perhaps we're not allowed to feel any emotions um, or be vulnerable in any way and build the capacity to be brave instead. So I often talk about trading in perfect for brave. Um, and that's the work that I love to do uh, with my clients. So I'm thrilled to be here to chat a bit more about that. That is exactly what spoke to me. And um, I'm realizing as you're talking about letting go of perfection, I forgot to plug this in all the way. So I'm just going to let the audio go without perfection for this episode. And I think it fits it absolutely perfect because it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell me a little bit more about your book? Because I, I started reading Ghost when I was in Spain recently, and it's an easily digestible, it's hard because it, it hits on a lot of truths, but the way, not only that you write, but how it really targets this external need to be perfect and fitting and I'm all that you need and more. And if not, you can putty me up and I'll be that way. And it's something that I, I do on occasion. So tell me a little bit more in the audience about your book, Ghost, please. Yeah, of course. Um, so my book's called Ghost, Why Perfect Women Shrink. Um, and there's a couple of main through lines through the book. Um, one is what I often call the embodied expression of my struggle, which was in the control and manipulation of my body. I guess in other words, you would call that really restrictive dieting and exercising. Um, perhaps you would classify it as an eating disorder, although I'm very much more in the school of viewing things as life rafts, as coping strategies, about the tools and the ways that we find to move through the world. Um, and shrinking my body was the way that I 
expressed a lot of the struggle and invisible suffering that was going on beneath the surface of what appeared to be a very perfect life. Um, so I grew up as a child who was talented, who was gifted. There was a lot of stories around how good I was at things. And this very much wrapped itself around me and became my identity. And I really grew up into a young woman who felt completely unable to show that anything was hard for me. Um, and I think that a lot of women can relate to perhaps that feeling. If you've grown up as someone who's been celebrated for the ease at which you do things, your achievements, um, your natural capacity to do well in the world, it can often completely remove the ability to show any vulnerability or to ask for help. Um, and so I very much grew up into a young woman and then a slightly older woman who was completely unable to ask for help, who felt like she shouldn't, couldn't show vulnerability in any way, who perhaps couldn't even really show that she was working hard at anything because the assumption was that everything was coming very easily to me. And I found that my body, what I put into it, the way I made it look, through very rigorous exercise was the one way that I felt safe to show how hard I was working. And that's really the story of ghosts. And that's why I call it the embodied version of my struggle, because it was the one way that I felt pretty much fine showing people just how hard I was working and just how special that made me feel. Um, so that's one of the major through lines through ghost. And then of course, from the phrase ghost. Um, the other major through line through all of this is just how often we are shining with glitter on the outside and the internal reality of our experiences could not be further from that truth. So ghost is really the story of how I basically broke um, in my late 20s and used that, I call it the reckoning, perhaps you think of it as like a bottoming out or just reaching that bottom where you're surrendered in a way of something has to change here. And for me, that was really no long was stopping dieting, completely renegotiating my relationship with food and exercise, and also finally confronting everything that was bubbling and boiling with it beneath the surface. Say like I learned to feel when I was 29 and I've been doing that ever since and building my capacity to feel that for myself and now support my clients in that. Um, something I feel so passionately about is that strong woman, the perfect woman, we don't get help. Everyone assumes we're fine. We kind of like it that way. We kind of need it that way to ensure the survival of our identity. But at a certain point, everyone needs to learn how to be a human being. And I had to learn how to be a human being. And we all do, because like counter to perhaps our popular beliefs, perfect does not exist in human beings. Those are mutually exclusive terms. There's so much that I wanna break down from what you just shared, because there's a lot of um, powerful segments that were all wrapped into that, that larger share. A lot of that I personally relate with as well. And I'd be curious to know as well, you know, I see a lot of the similarities with work, but also with relationships and how we, so I focus a lot on energy mm -hmm. and movement and flow and how exactly what you were saying, 
So given my history, I like that you said um, life rafts as well, because I've struggled with eating disorders as well, anorexia and bulimia in the past and taking away the label of a diagnosis, you call it a coping strategy. And I could not agree more. I did the same thing with alcohol. And to this day, I can have a drink and people are like, but then you weren't an alcoholic. And I said, well, I think on a deeper level, I learned what the why was. And when you learn the why, the life raft, like you're saying, then you find other tools. So it's like, oh, I'm going to go do yoga instead of, you know, putting my, or try and figure out, ask for the help instead of cutting my caloric intake to 500 calories a day. Like you're changing the tools. So that's a really beautiful statement and share that I want to give a little more light to because it's a, it's not a mindset that a lot of people are open to adapt because when you give it that space of eating disorder, boom, there's the box. Okay, here you go. It kind of reinforces exactly what the eating disorder is because it's so limited and I'm doing a box around the frame of this. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm really fed up with what I view as the shaming of the ways that we find to survive. I, I'll say this till like, I don't know, I was going to be dramatic and say the day I die, but perhaps I don't need to be that dramatic, but we're artists. Shrinking, <laughs> shrinking saved me. Shrinking saved me for the vast majority of my life when I didn't have the tools that I needed. Shrinking was the way that I survived. It was the way I ensured the maintenance of my identity. It was the way I got recognition. It was the way I felt strong. It was the way I felt controlled. Bizarrely enough, and it's not even bizarre, it was the way that I enjoyed variety and freedom when I would binge. It was almost like that release of energy. If you break down, quote unquote, an eating disorder, you will see all of the human needs that that thing meets. And the only way that you can release a coping strategy that is that effective and strong is by getting under the reason why you needed it in the first place. And that is why I am such a big advocate for doing things like understanding our attachment styles to our primary caregivers and how those developed into the blueprints through, like you mentioned, relationships, how we show up in relationships, how we show up in work, things like that, understanding our inner child, the understanding the core beliefs and identities that get wrapped around us when we're young and define how we think we have to present ourselves to survive in the world. What I will say like over and over and over again is we've been caring about ourselves all this time. Even when our coping strategies end up causing us pain, it's not because we don't care about ourselves, it's because we are fighting for our survival. So until, and, and I'm so fed up with the shaming of quote, destructive behaviors, because it's not behavioral. It's deeply driven by our desire to survive. And that's like a really beautiful and powerful thing. So if there's anyone listening who's like, yeah, okay, like sure, I'm struggling with this or I do this too much or I feel like very rigid about a certain part. It's like, okay, fine. You've got something that you're needing at the moment to keep you afloat. And I'll gently invite you in to say, is this something that I want to continue? Do I see myself this becoming perhaps more painful for me? And if that feels like it's true, it certainly was for me. I couldn't even comprehend the idea of going on another diet 
So what's the choice now? And that's really when the choice is to lean in and understand the reasons why you need to feel why why you're relying on a scoping strategy in the first place. Um, so healing has to happen. It's not about just trading in one coping strategy for another. It's understanding the reasons why you need one and then gently stepping towards solidifying your foundation of self so you don't need to constantly numb whatever it is that you're working through. The numbing factor is a big one. And I think either way, whether you're, um, you know, cause I've done this in the past too, where I, I take on more work to numb out another part. And it's like, we over, and this goes exactly back to the message in your book where it's like, you're just, you're go, 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 because that's another form of numbing. And we think it as productivity and busy and that's the entrepreneur spirit, but is it really? So Tell me a little bit what you personally either coach or have learned or part of your, your breaking awakening point of prior to burnout, what is a tool that, you know, you, you share or implement yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Just, I love that. Um, to go back to your point there about, um, productivity. (laughs) Yeah. The productivity thing. It's, uh, this is the fascinating thing about what I would call high functioning, struggling women is that our choice, our way of surviving that go, go, go. I'm all on my own. I'm an island. I'm going to solve this. I'm going to work my way through. Give me a terrible situation. I'm going to rise through it. This is positively reinforced by our society, not just like American culture, definitely by the entrepreneurial mindset that sort of um, intrinsically motivated individual is the is the woman that is celebrated compared to perhaps the other adaptive style that we choose to survive or some people choose to survive, which is more of that um, anxious, needy or dependent style of, adap- of adapting to our environment, that's shamed. But in contrast, our survival, our like linear, like skinny, strong, like, don't mess with me thing um, is so positively reinforced by our society. And that's something that has to get deconstructed in our healing. Um, and I often talk about that's one of the first things that I say to my clients is you need to stop operating as your own system of oppression, or at least we need to build awareness of the ways that we are, we are reinforcing struggle and suffering in our own lives. So if you look at society and what's reinforced, working, um, manipulation of the body, for women especially, where have you adapted that into your own life? Where are you operating as that same prison guard? Where are you also forcing yourself into that box? And it, in some way, I think alleviates shame when we can look outside of ourselves and say, oh, I didn't come in this way. I learned this. I was taught this was the way that I was supposed to be good. I was taught this was the way that I was going to be successful in this world. And I kind of like that because I think so often we get so personalized with our pain and it becomes very much like I'm broken or I'm doing this wrong. It's all my fault. Um, So I often like to first identify when we've embodied a system of oppression um, and start there. We mentioned a key word too, success, and what is the definition? And that's it's not a new, you know, question or subject. Like, what is success to you? But it's if you take it at a deeper level, it really is how we have defined success. And as you're describing 
you know, that strong, independent woman. I think for all of us listening or watching, we have, we have immediately a visual that comes to our mind because it has been so ingrained, you know, mm-hmm. semantics. And we have that idea. So being able to break that down and say, you get to recreate it. It's both petrifying, but freeing at the same time. So how do yeah. you break that down on a, a larger scale for your, any of anybody that you're coaching? Yeah. Um, so I always start with acceptance of the way that I've chosen or found to survive permission to try a new way. So just like you reference, it's like we've been taught a particular way. Can I accept? I don't have to accept the whole the whole way, but can I understand perhaps why I'm where I am? And am I going to give myself permission to try something different? Um, and that can be a very scary dichotomy for many, because when we're talking about permission, there's no guarantee of results which is terrifying. Um, and something I normalize with my clients very early on is your, the evidence that what we're doing now is working will be delayed. It will de- be delayed so almost painfully so because when we're recalibrating the way that we are living in the world, we don't get fast results. We're so conditioned to speedy, fast, follow these steps, but we're entirely disconnected from ourselves in that process. And so when we're learning things like, how do I listen to my body? Or what is my intuition? Or do I remember what it felt like to even be playful or free or anything like that? We're so disconnected from those feelings that it can take time to thaw can really take time to and I don't often even use the word soften with my clients because that in and of itself is activating for people it's like I don't want to get soft it's like no we're not getting soft we're becoming human (laughs) like we're actually and even just having a need like I don't know about you but I like the thought that I was going that I was someone who had needs like fundamental needs was an alien concept to me and by needs I mean things like sleeping enough or being able to have an emotional response to something I'd numbed all of this to the extent that I was just like operating as a robot checking off boxes and and the same with diets I was so disconnected from my body hunger I just numbed all of that that I actually had to go through a lot of months where I was just learning if I had a feeling or a sensation in my body that wasn't exhaust that wasn't exhaustion from running like a 90 like for 90 minutes or squatting 250 pounds or just like earth destroying hunger that was in me I completely lost any sense of subtlety or awareness in my body because it had all just been numbed um so I really had to and that's something else I work on a lot with my clients especially when they're trending towards a more like ghostly way of being is just like learning how to track sensations in your body. And that may feel very disconnected from working on your career. It's actually not. We're, when we're relearning the language of our body, we're reconnecting to not, not our mind, but our physical bodies, our intuition, what's been living in there, like the trauma that gets compacted in our bodies over time. And as we're bringing that to the surface and allowing it and actually processing it, 
rather than just freezing it or shoving it down or numbing it with things. Um, we're growing our capacity to be ourselves. We're growing our capacity to feel. We're growing that emotional resiliency. And that in time, all the things I learned in healing my quote unquote disordered eating are the exact same things that I channel into building my business now. It's just, it's coming from a much more aligned and embodied place. And it's driven by what feels right for me rather than what someone else has told me is the way that I'm supposed to be. And it's a very different thing, like living inside out rather than outside in, mm. which is, I think, how a lot of us are living. Oh, that's a, it's a major, major subject that I, I want to loop back into. There was something you mentioned earlier about um, you ha- it takes time. There's a delayed gratification. And it's, you know, I order something on Amazon. I'm like, where is it? Why is it? I, I want this. Like, you know, so we're, we're very ingrained or it's, um, you know, even with social media, et cetera. But the prolonged period, when you change something, that, that initial uh, gray area, it feels very weird and it mm-hmm. almost feels wrong in a way. And wrong is, you know, in itself, not a great word. It's wrong is right up there with should in my book. They just need to hear <laughs> from the human vocabulary. Um, but there's like that, that delayed, um, oddness in between. It's like a limbo and a, same thing. When I had originally started recovering, you have to relearn what is hunger. You need to relearn what is enjoyment. What is joy? You know, you're currently, I usually ask this question to start out, but I didn't today. And I said, where are you right now? And you're visiting your family in Scotland. Like, would you imagine taking time away from your business to do a trip to see your family years ago. Maybe, maybe not, you know, it's like, but this isn't business and I'm not making money. And that's where my personal struggle is sometimes. Mm. Learn it. Yeah, totally. Well, to answer your question, I wouldn't have come. Um, <laughs> I write, I mean, I write about that in ghost. I, I, when my grandpa died, I did not come because I didn't like how I looked and I was in the process of cutting I used to I used to do weightlifting competitions. I would always compete in a weight class down, and it was a great way to get lean, um, which was really all I was doing. It was under the guise of fitness um, or strength, but it was very much again about rigidity and control. So to answer your question, one no, <laughs> I wouldn't have been visiting my family right now. Um, but then also two, and I've had been having this experience in a very profound way whilst I'm being here is that now that I have worked like not that healing is ever really done but having processed a lot of the struggle that I that was my everyday like shrinking and perfectionism and all that kind of thing um it did allow me to leave my job which was a fine job but it wasn't work that I love to do and so I'm now in that place a few years down the line from quote-unquote starting my healing journey where I do now work for myself and where I've set up systems and processes in my business that mean I'm on holiday and I still make money. (laughs) And it's not really even about that, but it's more I've set up a structure and a life for myself that allows me to prioritize what I like to do, what I love to do. It's aligned with my values. This never could have happened if I hadn't done my healing. It never would have happened because it just, I wouldn't have been able to back myself in that way. Just like I referenced earlier, everything that I learned in coming home to myself and my body 
is are the steps that had to happen in order for me to have the bravery to build a business. It's the same thing. Like we practice bravery. It generalizes into all areas of our life. I sometimes think that, um, not, not necessarily my clients because I enroll them in that, but we sometimes like, why would I, why, what is healing work? Like, what am I going to get out of that? And to that, obviously you're going to get more of your life and you have no idea what that looks like right now because you're, you're looped and locked in, in coping strategies, which are protecting you beautifully, but they're not leaving you open to what could be. Um, and so, yeah, like being here, like coming home is sometimes a trip because it's a reminder of how far I've come in a really short period of time. And those are the moments where you're just like, oh, healing gives back in so many ways far beyond just being able to eat pizza when I feel like it. <laughs> Which is good. I had some really great pizza. Oh, yeah. Insane. I was like, I never imagined that I would have had this in the past. If yeah. you're open to share too, what, um, what were you doing before? And what have you, because financial freedom is important. You know, it's a big thing. Mm -hmm. you, you can't, we can't just uh, let everything go and think like, oh, I'm going to put up this vision sure. board of my vacation. <laughs> it's going to happen there. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. But so no. you're hoping to share what you've done to create that foundation for yourself, um, because yeah. a lot of listeners would love to learn too. Yeah, I love that question. And I'm right there with you. I love visualization. I love getting into the energy and feeling of things. And then also uh, money is real. Um, we live in the real world. And I am absolutely not that person. It's like, quit your job and figure it out because that's that's gaslighting, <laughs> just like, that's just like replication of harm. Um, so I, for most of my twenties, I worked as a designer. Um, I ended up as a creative director at a digital agency um, and it was a great job. And I learned a lot um, and I got a green card, which was wonderful, which means I can live in the US without looking over my shoulder the whole time. Um, but once I got through about a year and a half of doing a lot of inner work, I felt really ready to start perhaps acting on that pretty much childhood dream of working for myself that just to be honest had been put on ice for years because I didn't have the capacity to do anything except diet to be honest like if you talk about energy all my energy was looping in that so I didn't have any for dreaming or for building things or for writing things um, and I was that person who did it in the really quote unquote uncool way of starting my business on the side whilst working full time. Um, I got coaching certifications. I'm a trained breathwork facilitator um, and I started doing free coaching on the side just to get exposure and experience. Um, and I did that for six months um, and then in the start of lockdown uh, I committed to writing my book which is Ghost um, and I wrote for two hours in the morning before I went to work um, and again over that time I was beginning to now get paid for my coaching so it was beginning to at least bring in some income not income that I could survive off so I was more than happy to stay with my full-time job and also I'm really glad that I did because it didn't put immediate pressure on something that I was basically testing. I was like testing out the validity of 
being a coach of being a writer um, was that even something that I wanted to do full time um, and so I ended up going part-time or freelance I should say at my design job last August um, and it kind of dovetailed with getting a bit more clients and then by the end of I'm trying to think I finally went full-time in my business in May um, and at that point my business was bringing in more per month than I was making at my full or I had been making at my full-time job so it basically just in the way I talk about coping strategies like generally having to be replaced by more like regulation and just like a baseline foundation my business grew slowly my old job was the way that I like survived and over time my new business just began to flow in and support me and then I transitioned out so it was not there was no dramatic leavings of jobs and if you do that cool like whatever but have a plan like know how you're going to support yourself. I'm someone that's been financially dependent on myself since 19. So that wasn't an option for me. Um, and so honestly, also building it sustainably, building it over time, shored up the foundations in a way that felt really strong. Um, so yeah, my coaching business is full at the moment. It's allowing me to now move into developing more things in my speaking career. Um, but I did it very sensibly and I'm really glad that I did. I think it I think it's wise because it allows for it to grow. It's like you're R and Ding your yeah. next career step. And how is exactly. it exactly working? And it's a smart strategy to also test out because you you don't know you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it gives you that space to do it from a place of joy, as opposed to force where, you know, then it goes into a abundance and lack, you know, if you're lacking money, you of course are going to be like, sell, 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 sell. And then people taste that in three seconds. And they're like, mm, no, thanks. Totally. My strategy to, to like you're unmeshing and then remeshing together. Yeah. And writing my book really clarified a lot of exactly the kind of woman that I love to work with and if I tried to rush that um you're right it would have tasted very different um and some things don't have to be done quickly sometimes it really takes and again that goes back to deconstructing all the systems of oppression that we've embodied of do it quickly do it fast get instant success like work 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 it's like actually no <laughs> um I mean I always say that I feel like my business is forces me always to be present if not actively doing inner work but it brings up stuff every day around all of those default strategies that the world is operating around some of my old stuff that re-emerges in different ways and it forces me to be really present with that and like no we can do this differently we're safe to take time we're safe to do it right rather than fast. It doesn't have to be perfect. R&D is a perfect description for it, which can be deeply uncomfortable when you're a perfectionist. You show up <laughs> with something that's like not quite done. All of that is you building evidence that you can be brave instead of perfect. And that's how we actually get to do anything worth doing, in my opinion. I love that you mentioned that you're writing your book was a good, um, in a way, it was like oh, your own personal clarification and therapy because... 
I agree. When I wrote my book, I was just like, okay, get all of this out. But it gives you a space also, like you say, see the direction. You know, I recommend to people, I'm like, journal. If you can't get it out, just journal, do a voice note, transcript, whatever you have to do, just get it out of your body, get it out of your mind, let it make complete nonsense and let it sit there for a little bit. So you mentioned about what's next for you. You're doing more speaking, you're developing. What is next for Iona? Yeah, um, so a lot of my coaching so far has been a one-on-one, which I've loved because it's been very deep dives and I love and perhaps probably will never stop doing some of that like really intimate work. Um, But I'm in the process of founding my, I don't know if you call it next company, but it's called Brave Thing. And this is going to be very much around more of a, a community of bringing together similar women um and getting visible to ourselves first to each other and then the world I think so much deep healing can be done for a woman who are used to figuring things out on their own to practice being incomplete vulnerable or brave about what perhaps they're working on or what they're dreaming about and letting that be a shared experience um so I've been working on brave thing talk about things taking time and that really that name came to me early in the spring and I've been trying out different iterations and versions of it um, and been collaborating to get some different inputs which has been really fun um, and testing some different formats um so we're thinking I'll be launching brave thing early fall late fall I'm letting it be open um and I'm also just like topical wise um because I do come from a an athletic background as a division one field hockey player and an all-american um just in the light of women athletes I love like Naomi Osaka Simone Biles coming out and being a lot more open about kind of the underbelly of high performance um I'm really excited about perhaps evolving some ways to bring brief thing into collegiate sports to support young women who are in those high performing environments like I was where I was completely toolless in understanding how to be with myself emotionally when I was pushing my body to the brink um, so that's another sort of branch of brave thing about helping perhaps younger women develop tools earlier than I did so that they can thrive in their careers in their athletic careers whatever that looks like but with a foundational like sense of kindness and awareness and bravery that I wish I'd had when I was younger um so I'm really excited about what brave thing is it's all about being a brave thing doing brave things and they sort of mutually compound on themselves so that's what I'm working on next powerful both of those very much need I could have used both of those and I think yeah. um, the, the last uh, subject that you mentioned about, um, you know, it has a lot to do with careers, but it also branches right into relationships as well, because as strong women, um, no matter your, your sexual preference, how we present ourselves in relationships as well, it shows up the same way. I don't need mm-hmm. anything. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm, I'm all good because you don't want to shake the raft. But at the same time, you become completely solo. So you're in a relationship, but are you really? Um, and I think that's, you know, a strong independent women. It's not always easy to find a partner because we do come across as she's got it. She doesn't need anything. She doesn't need me. But it's like, 
I want a team. <laughs> I really want somebody there for me too. So it's an interesting yeah. parallel. Yeah. I think relationships can be huge opportunities um, for practicing of, of vulnerability when you're with someone who you trust can hold you. Um, and then I've, I've dated um, mostly men, but one of my longest relationships was with a woman. It's the same stuff that came up over and over again for me. Conflict avoidance, not being able to state needs, not having um, that feeling like I could. Um, when I, that like my relationship with a woman was in my early 20s, my current relationship with my partner, Sean, who I've been in been in our relationship um for like six and a half years at this point but he he met me very different he met robot Iona he fell in love with robot lean machine Iona and one of the scariest things about doing this work that I've done was will will we still be like will we still be right for each other will we still be good partners for each other um, and it took time for me to get sort of visible with my own needs with myself first before I was really able to bring that and practice that in our relationship. I was I'm so avoidant to conflict. It's something that is my part of a huge part of growth for me um, and being able to practice that in a relationship and not thinking that because you have a fight, the relationship is over or that because you're you have a need or emotions um, it's like, yeah, newsflash, Iona has a period every month. Sometimes she feels a bit different. Like <laughs> these were all things that were so, so terrifying for me. Like you said, as a strong woman who what, didn't feel like she was allowed to feel. Um, and so how my relationship has changed and grown and deepened because I feel because I'm more of a human in it now than I was before has also provided a lot of opportunity for my partner to grow too. Um, he teaches me things um, I'm, I hope I teach him things and then that's the other thing that I always say to clients it's like you can't guarantee that who was right for you when you were not yourself will remain right for you when you are yourself the right people will stay you will adapt and thrive and it will be stronger and more beautiful than it ever could have been um, but sometimes you also have to be ready not perhaps ready immediately but sometimes you do outgrow things definitely outgrown friendships um in the process of me becoming more of myself and that's always comes with grief in some capacity and that that's another thing it's like you don't just become more of yourself and don't feel things or things don't hurt it's there's a shedding process a recalibration all of it and not all of it is like happy and that's okay it's all a loss is a loss even if you chose it I've always said there's a there's far more similarities that we have too my first love was a woman and it was like the first person that actually accepted me for me and that was yeah. the biggest connection point but it was really frowned upon so it was, it was a hard you you touched on it too it's like the abandonment issue and then the separation then people don't like me or okay yeah. I will transform myself so that's a I would love to, I'll wrap this up because I literally feel yeah. like I can talk with you I don't know, for hours, but I won't <laughs> do that to you nor anybody listening. So the last question, what is it for you to never settle? 
Hmm. Um, I think just I'm assuming that I'm never done uh, learning about myself. And so how could I ever be settled in the sense of anything? Um, I think that as long as you're keeping your eyes open to yourself and the world, um, you don't want your world to get small. And, and I think that's so often what can happen is we get comfortable where we are and we're not got our eyes on the horizon looking to see what else could be. Um, and I think that's probably it for me, just staying open to what's coming, because that's the other beautiful thing about releasing a little bit of that perfection and control in your life is you never know what's coming your way. If you're open to it, um, I've, I've experienced that over and over and over again in the last couple of years. And I truly believe it's because I've been open in a way that I wasn't before. So, yeah, it would be that. Beautifully shared. I agree with that completely. The last up, where can we find you? And we are going to put all of your links in your book below as well for listeners. So where can we find you? Yeah, so you can find me ionaholloway.com. I'm mostly on Instagram for social platforms. I'm Iona Holloway on there as well. Um, and yeah, the book's on Amazon, Goes to My Perfect Woman Shrink. And I also have a whole free resource section on my website ionaholloway.com uh, forward slash gifts for things like free chapters of ghosts reading guides a couple of free webinars um a free week of coaching as well like go grab it it's yours wonderful thank you so much this was incredibly insightful and i knew this time was gonna fly i really need <laughs> hours with you Iona, thank you so much for chiming in. I know that you're in Scotland visiting family, so thank you for taking the time as well. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you for tuning in for another episode of Never Settle, designed to move your mind while you move your body. Stay tuned for another upcoming episode that we will be interviewing fellow entrepreneurs in the well-being space. Until then, stay happy, stay healthy, stay empowered, and inspired. Talk soon. <laughs>